From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman wants the Wisconsin Elections Commission to preserve all data and evidence related to the 2020 presidential election. Gableman is leading the investigation into the election, which Joe Biden narrowly won. Gableman sent a letter to commissioners last week imploring them to tell local clerks to preserve any and all voting records so he can use them to determine whether any alleged fraud occurred. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss hired Gableman to lead the investigation. Do you think the WEC and local clerks will comply? Well, it's interesting because the Elections Commission itself does not maintain many records or voting machines at all. Those are maintained by local clerks. So uh, I try to get in touch with Gableman to find out exactly what he was looking for or how he's hoping the Elections Commission could help him in this endeavor. Did not hear back from him. What people are kind of watching is where this investigation leads for him and what he's looking at. Uh, Robin Voss, the Assembly Speaker who signed the contract with Gableman, basically said that it's going to be up to Gableman to define the contours of this review of the 2020 election, and he will let Gableman go where he wants with it. But what's that mean? Is he going to try and get a truckload of voting machines uh, turned over to the office where they're working out of or looking at ballots? We don't know because he's not really saying publicly. This is one of the first signs of what he's looking for, though, is some kind of voting uh, election records. Well, there are a lot of le- election records, so what might they be? What, what's he looking at? And quite frankly, we don't know, and we probably won't until he either tells us or we see a report, which Robin Voss expects to be sometime in October. And now, what's the status of the three separate audits or investigations of the 2020 election in Wisconsin? So there's a Gableman review, which, uh, again, hired by the Assembly, He's expected to wrap up in October. That's the hope that Robin Voss has expressed to us. The Legislative Audit Bureau, which is the nonpartisan, or a nonpartisan arm of the state legislature, that agency has been charged with doing a review of how the election was run and election policies. Um, they're expected sometime this fall. And then you have the committee uh, led by Janelle Branch, a Republican lawmaker uh, from Menominee Falls in the Assembly. That committee was charged actually starting late last fall looking at the 2020 election, um, that one's kind of hit a brick wall because Janelle Branchin sought to issue subpoenas for various uh, voting equipment and materials from Milwaukee and Brown counties. However, under state law, unless the presiding officer of that chamber and the chief clerk sign a subpoena, doesn't carry any weight. Well, Robin Voss has said he will not sign uh, Janelle's subpoenas. He said he would, however, consider signing subpoenas for Michael Gableman if there are things he thought that he needed for his review. So it looks like Voss is trying to put all his eggs in the Gableman basket right now when it comes to a review beyond what the Audit Bureau is doing. Now what's interesting is there's a question among people I talked to in the Capitol about how this thing is going to come to a satisfactory resolution for some of the folks who believe there's something missed about the 2020 election. I get the sense in talking to Republican lawmakers that they're getting a lot of heat back home especially like when they go to county party events from people who believe the election was quote-unquote stolen, there was some kind of something amiss, and this kind of perception they're not doing enough to get to the bottom of what's going on 
they're also getting threatened with primaries. And there's also this sense of, from some I talked to in the party, that they need to move past 2020 and focus on 2022. Because if they're caught up in 2020 still, that's not going to help them win back some voters who Donald Trump turned off. Also last week, former Republican Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish made it official. She's running for governor next year. She's considered the early frontrunner, and if she makes it past the primary, she would take on incumbent Democratic Governor Tony Evers next November. At the same time Clayfish announced her intention to run, the conservative group Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty commissioned a poll that shows Evers has a 48% approval rating, down slightly from the most recent Marquette poll that shows Evers at 49%. What do you think this indicates, that Evers is vulnerable, or are we at least looking at a tight race for governor? The environment is going to have a lot to do with what uh, Tony Evers' prospects look like next fall. Uh, right now, Joe Biden's uh, job approval numbers are in the 40s. They've been dropping between the dissatisfaction over the pullout in Afghanistan, um, people unhappy that the COVID-19 pandemic is not really receding, that we're seeing these flare-ups and rising cases. Um, that's not good for Democrats because if we've seen one thing in Wisconsin is that a party in power in the White House struggles in midterm elections. The question is how much. The worse Biden's numbers are, more Democrats will probably struggle. So the best news for Democrats is that this is all happening in September of the off year, not September of the election year. If Joe Biden's numbers next September are like where they are right now, that's going to be a huge issue for Tony Evers. Um, if Biden's numbers rebound, maybe it's a much better environment for Evers. If they get worse, it's probably not good news. Um, why I bring that up is that, you know, that's one of the big things for Evers is going to have to deal with is Biden and how he's doing. Um, the fallout from Kenosha and the violent protests there in August of 2020. Um, everything went wrong with processing unemployment insurance claims during the pandemic. And then COVID-19, uh, that could be a plus or a minus for Evers, depending how these things shake out and how people view his handle. But those are the, the biggest issues for Evers right now. And you saw in Clayfish's rollout, she hit him on one of those things, right? She talked about Kenosha, hiring more police officers. She talked about covid um, now, a lot of what she talked about are like a checklist for the conservative base, but there's also some stuff in there they're going to see as a theme in the general election next fall, whoever the Republican nominee is, about Kenosha, unemployment, COVID, and Biden. And finally, Milwaukee Alderwoman and Democratic U.S. Senate hopeful Shantia Lewis has been charged with four felonies and one misdemeanor for allegedly stealing about $20,000 from her Common Council campaign fund and falsifying campaign finance reports. Lewis is running in a crowded Democratic primary for Republican U.S. Senator Ron Johnson's seat next year. Johnson hasn't announced yet whether he'll seek a third term. How do you think the charges against Lewis will impact the race? Well, they're definitely not going to help her prospects. The, the thing, though, is I don't know if this impacts the overall race because Shanti Lewis wasn't really having an impact on the field. I mean, uh, Mandela Barnes, uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, kind of one of the front runners in that race, he put out a poll for his campaign last week. Now, it's an internal poll taken with a grain of salt that's always campaigns publicize the best numbers they get from their polling. That said, you know, Barnes was at like 30 or 39 percent of the primary field up on everybody else by like 29 points, I think, something like that. Shantia Lewis is in single digits. Nobody else, nobody broke through double digits against Barnes. Now, the flip side is there's still a lot of people undecided. 
almost as many undecided as people who supported Barnes. So there's still room for people to grow. But Shanti Lewis isn't somebody who's viewed as a candidate with the kind of potential to grow because people wonder how she's going to raise money, how she would get attention. And this issue that popped up is not going to help on either two fronts, right? I mean, how do you make a case to people to give money to your campaign when you're facing four felony counts? Um, and it's not good attention to be having something like this go on. So her lawyer said she's not dropping out of the race or resigning. But in talking to people well, after the charges were filed, they get the impression they thought that she was going to have a way to recover from this and be a factor in the Senate race. And she's already facing uphill climb because she wasn't that top tier. Um, it is fat, kind of interesting to note with the charges that were filed that the DA's office basically initiated this on its own. I don't know if they got a tip or whatnot, but in the uh, criminal complaint, it noted that the DA's office requested her finance reports and her travel reimbursement from the city and kind of cross-referenced things to this on its own. And two, Lewis is trying to say that this was like a bookkeeping error and, you know, she's been working with the prosecutors to clean this up. Well, you usually get charged with four felonies for a bookkeeping error, and it's hard to make the effort uh, argument it was a bookkeeping mistake when you used your campaign to pay for things like tuition to Bible college or family trips. Like, those aren't, people don't see those really as a bookkeeping mistake as much as a misuse of funds. So if she can get out of it somehow, you know, if there's, there's an explanation for it, it might help her cause. But again, I'm just not getting the sense that she is really in a position to make a lot of noise in the uh, Senate race. That's wispolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.